thank you to the extended center faculty and staff for the invitation and organizing this and making my return to George Mason possible. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, others have already addressed the historical and theoretical approaches to sectarianism, so I am not going to do a Bernard Lewis for you this morning, but I will do an Osama Mahdisi very briefly. Um, I want to begin with his definition of sectarianism. Uh, which I find very useful, which refers to the deployment of religious heritage as a primary marker of modern political identity. And for Marxisti, sectarianism is a process through which a kind of religious identity is politicized, even secularized, which I will be drawing on, as part of an obvious struggle for power. So my remarks on sectarianism in the African context will touch on several but related Topics. First, I would like to address what I will refer to as the absence of sectarianism among the Lebanese uh, diaspora in Senegal. I will then discuss the emergence of an indigenous Senegalese Shi'i community and highlight how Senegal is a Maliki Sufi majoritarian country, about 94% of Senegal is Sunni Muslim today, offers a climate for religious pluralism and tolerance of its religious minorities. In contrast, then, I will very briefly turn to Nigeria to briefly outline the increase in sectarianism in a very different West African context. Um, Nigeria is nearly equally divided between Christianity and Islam, where no single identity group constitutes a numeric majority uh, large enough to exercise any type of hegemony over its rivals. So that's a very different type of context. I just want to raise these for discussion for the roundtable and beyond. Um, so the examples are going to question the impact of population demographics, religious makeup, on sectarian tendencies, in addition to looking at diaspora and convert communities, which we have not yet touched on yesterday's panels, um, which we might again debate later in the morning roundtable. So to begin with the Lebanese community in West Africa, members of ethnic groups are often categorized by belonging to particular religious communities, speaking the same languages, and following certain social patterns. Lebanese, in contrast, tend to be characterized by religious pluralism. Uh, religious difference in Lebanon has been exploited throughout history by foreign powers. It remains in place today through division of political offices along religious lines as structured by the French-influenced constitution. Yet in Senegal, distance from the homeland and the altered and multi-layered dynamics of transnational religious politics enabled the ethnic network of Lebanese to develop over time to become expansive and secular enough, to use that term loosely, uh, to include both Christians and Muslims. There was not a second wave of immigration to Senegal during the Lebanese Civil War, which lasted from 1975 to 1990, as there was, for example, to nearby Ivory Coast. This means that Lebanese in Senegal are primarily second, third, and now fourth generation migrants, many of whom have never actually had the opportunity to visit Lebanon. Despite the overemphasis in the media and in policy circles on growing sectarianism in the Middle East, I will describe why sectarian divisions do not mark the Lebanese community in Senegal today. Lebanese became embedded in Senegalese society, building on political and economic ties while they were considered a community apart. During, it was during times of insecurity in Senegal, resulting from French colonial and anti-Lebanese campaigns and Senegalese independence, that the Lebanese community sought to reinvent its identity. Migrants began to leave Lebanon in the 19th century, seeking better economic opportunities abroad and to improve their local social rank. Some fled the 1860 massacres of Christians by Druze in Lebanon, and others avoided conscription in the Ottoman army. 
Lebanese migrated to all five continents, but first arrived in West Africa as what I refer to as a colonial fluke. Uh, as early as the 1880s and especially during the 1920s, immigrants left Lebanon for Marseille, which was the transportation hub of the time. And according to the tale that Lebanese of Senegal tell, their ancestors boarded ships heading for the Americas. It was always Amrika where they intended to come, and Michigan has a large diaspora uh, community as a result. Uh, but they claimed they never reached their destination. Ships stopped at Dakar, and French colonial power convinced the Lebanese to stay in West Africa to work as intermediaries in the peanut trade between French in the cities and Senegalese in the rural areas. So today there are roughly 20,000 Lebanese in Senegal, and Senegal is a Sunni majoritarian Muslim country. However, about 95% of the Lebanese community today is Shi'i Muslim, uh, with a small Christian population and an even smaller Sunni Muslim presence. Muslim and Christian demographics, however, were more evenly balanced during the first generation of Lebanese in Senegal. And although religious differentiation has remained strong in Lebanon, my informants repeatedly emphasized to me throughout the course of my fieldwork that there are no problems between Muslims and Christians in Senegal. Of course, assuming that I assumed that there were always these sectarian tensions in Lebanon, and they very clearly acknowledged that by stressing the fact that there were none in Senegal. So over time, as I will argue, Lebanese religious differences began to be accommodated by the religious institutions, which include a Maronite church, which was actually the first Lebanese religious institution established in Senegal and all of West Africa, established in 1954. This was followed by a Shi'i Islamic Institute in 1978, and very, very recently a Lebanese Sunni mosque was built only a few years ago in Dakar, and I have not actually had an opportunity to visit that yet. So boundaries between Muslim and Christian melted away as interreligious marriages became more frequent. Children of different religions studied together in Christian and Muslim schools, and all Lebanese community members, Muslim and Christian alike, celebrated weddings, funerals, and even religious holidays together in mosques and churches. The Lebanese of Senegal also lived through the Lebanese Civil War from a distance, and most Lebanese Muslims did not distinguish between Sunni and Shi'i denominations. In Senegal, it was actually only when those who had the opportunity to visit or to study in Lebanon in that generation, uh, once in Lebanon, they were confronted for the first time with these religious differences. So in Senegal, Lebanese constructed their identities in response to empire politics and colonial rivalries, which caused continuous tensions between religion, ethnicity, race, and nationalism. French administrators recruited Lebanese as economic intermediaries and then later opposed their immigration. They soon were concerned over increasing numbers of Arab immigrants and began to see the Lebanese in particular as a threat to their hold in West Africa. In the 1930s and 1940s, French administrators responded with anti-Lebanese campaigns. These included a policy of segregating Lebanese from Africans in order to prevent the spread of pan-Islamism, pan-Arabism, and anti-colonial sentiments. They restricted the use of Arabic in the colonies, and they prohibited Lebanese Muslims even from praying in Senegalese mosques and attending local Quranic schools. Archival data have illustrated that the French perception and treatment of Lebanese as a threat resulted in Lebanese unity, regardless of the sectarian divisions that the first generation did come with from Lebanon uh, in unity against the French. So French authorities were the first to enforce Lebanese distinctiveness by classifying Lebanese Muslims and Christians in Senegal as a single group. So French administrators did not give priority to Lebanese Maronites in Senegal as they had in Lebanon, just to make that distinction. 
Um, instead, they treated Lebanese as a block of Muslims, uniting Lebanese Muslims and Christians, even if they weren't Muslims, they were actually described as Muslims in the archives, um, as this block who threatened French, French interests in West Africa. And since Lebanese religious practices were prohibited from externally conforming to those of the Senegalese, Lebanese sectarian divisions were instead internally accommodated as the community united in opposition to French policy. Senegal gained independence from France on June 20th, 1960, and this led to another transition for the Lebanese community. As an ethno-racial minority in a powerful business community, the Lebanese encountered hostility from the Senegalese population. Becoming socially and politically invisible was key to Lebanese economic success as they remained a vulnerable minority in Senegal. Clandestine patron-client relationships suited the Lebanese, whose economic actions depended on such collaboration. This suited Senegalese politicians as well, who benefited from Lebanese financial support, but often preferred not to publicize it. So the Lebanese sensed that change was underway well before independence, and they established good relations with Senegal's nationalist parties. When Senegal became independent, some of these Lebanese were rewarded by receiving Senegalese citizenship, and the community as a whole was assured of continued protection. So Lebanese were excluded from Senegalese society as economic, racial, and religious other, and they developed two strategies for survival. On the one hand, they clung to these cosmopolitan linkages, the Arabic language, international business ties, French education, and multiple passports. On the other hand, they renegotiated the integration debate in Senegal and made a case to be formally recognized as Senegalese of Lebanese origin. They wanted to be seen as an ethnic group alongside the indigenous Senegalese Wolof, Pular, or Serer ethnicities. So community <coughs> leaders highlighted the Lebanese community's long history of economic, political, and cultural contributions in Senegal in an attempt to claim autochthony. Meanwhile, in Lebanon, the primary form of identification was religious difference and not ethnicity. So the story doesn't end here. It's further described in much more detail in my book that came out in October. But for the sake of time, let me just highlight that the Lebanese Shi'i Sheikh Abdul Manim Zain arrived in Senegal or in Dakar in 1969. This was almost a century after the establishment of the Lebanese community in Senegal. He was born and raised in Lebanon. He was trained in the houses of Najaf, uh, Iraq. And Sheikh Hussein's arrival came only shortly before the Lebanese Civil War and the Iranian Revolution. So it was no coincidence that West Africa received its very first Lebanese Islamic leader during the period of revitalization of Shi'i religiosity and sectarian identity in Lebanon. Sheikh Hussein's work founding the Islamic institution of Dakar in 1978 led to an identity shift in the Lebanese community with a return, so to speak, uh, of patriotic Lebanese Shi'i sentiments. Yet Sheikh Hussein also understood that inclusive rather than exclusive religious politics would be most successful in Senegal. And he welcomed Sunni Muslims into his institutions. He joined Christians in affairs concerning the Lebanese community as a whole. The 2006 Lebanon war, however, was a challenge for Lebanese unity in Senegal. And for the very first time, Lebanese Shia in Senegal organized a large protest in Dakar in support of Lebanon. And I was told that the Lebanese sheikh spoke more about politics at this occasion than during the usual religious uh, ceremonies. He was full of praise for Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah, the secretary general of Hezbollah, whereas previously he had been careful not to demonstrate any attachments to Lebanese political parties, and it was actually rumored that he had Amal affiliations uh, as well. 
So on the one hand, Lebanese and Senegal were linked to a distinct Lebanese ethnic identity that was not fully detached from the wider politics of sectarianism in Lebanon, but on the other hand, this very identity enabled unity as a secular Lebanese ethnic group in order to claim what Mike McGovern has termed fictive autochthony in Senegal, which was constructed from the community's long history and economic, political, and cultural contributions. So the 2006 war impinged on this delicate balance between religion and ethnicity. It was indicative of difficulties faced by Lebanese religious institutions in the diaspora in continuing to embrace coexistence and to distance themselves from the sectarian politics in Lebanon. Yet Lebanese Christians remain too small a minority in Senegal not to continue to work with the Lebanese Shi'i majority to further a community-wide agenda. So the example of Lebanese in Senegal demonstrates how sectarian proclivities change over time, and particularly with different generations. In the case of migrant communities, sectarianism, or the lack thereof, can be a function of the changing economic and political situations in both country of origin as well as receiving country. I would like to give a second example of the absence of sectarianism in Senegal, which will continue to complicate the argument for those who retain that sectarianism is primordial. In the case of religious conversion, certain individuals and groups choose to belong to a different religious community, and sectarianism, if it exists, therefore cannot be a result of centuries-long hatreds, but must develop historically and situationally. Senegalese converts to Shi'i Islam often highlight that Lebanese and Senegal were born into the religion, that they are businessmen who are not necessarily educated in matters of Islam, and many of them are even illiterate today in standard Arabic. In contrast, Senegalese refer to Shi'i Islam as an acquired, not an inherited religion, and for them this was a choice involving many years of study, knowledge of Arabic, access to religious texts, and sometimes, but not necessarily, international travel. Early in his career in Senegal, the Lebanese Sheikh Al-Zain did not have access to a local body of Lebanese Shia who were formally educated in Islam who could assist him with religious work. As the only Lebanese cleric in Senegal at that time, he drew on the expertise of Senegalese Muslims who were knowledgeable and influential in Islamic affairs and well-connected with local Sufi leaders. Some of those who assisted Sheikh Al-Zain were among the first to learn about Shi'i Islam and converted, while others never left Sunni Islam, and I use that term conversion rather loosely. Uh, secondly, Iran has a history of economic cooperation with Senegal from the time of the Shah, but the embassy was closed in 1984 for encouraging Islamic propaganda. President Abdu Juf reopened this Iranian embassy in the early 1990s out of economic interest in phosphates and carpets, the embassy has been careful to stress only economic activities in Senegal. However, certain embassy events continue to promote Shi'i Islam. It holds annual receptions for the anniversary of the Islamic Revolution and finances Senegalese intellectuals to attend Islamic conferences in Tehran. In 2002, an Iranian sheikh built a Shi'i seminary at Hausa in Dakar, where young boys and now girls actually are educated uh, in, from Arabic texts by Senegalese sheikhs who study Shi'i theology in Iran or in Lebanon. Shi'i associations inspired by the Iranian revolution also began to form in Senegal in the 1980s. These can be understood as part of the larger movement for Islamic reform in West Africa. The origins of Sunni reform movements in Senegal can be traced back to the 1930s to the gradual concentration in urban areas of students who returned from studying in religious centers of the Middle East and North Africa. Referred to in French as Amadizan, 
These young men were fluent in Arabic, well-versed in textual Islam, and often unable to succeed in Senegal's modern francophone sector. Many became Arabic teachers in Senegal secondary schools and formed Islamic associations. Senegal, however, is a country of religious tolerance, and Senegalicia are able to express publicly their minority religious views and openly practice Shi'i rituals. Occasionally, this is not always well received. In the early years of the movement, the leaders did talk about taqiyya, or dissimulation, uh, where they would hide their Shi'i practices in certain contexts, for example, if they were praying in a Sunni mosque uh, in order to avoid conflict, but the community these days is becoming better known and much better publicized. Uh, and this is no longer necessary. We can, however, contrast this absence of sectarianism in Senegal to the unfortunate heightening situation in Nigeria. The majority of Nigerian Muslims are Sunni. They're concentrated in the northern area of the country. Again, Nigeria is about half Muslim, half Christian. Um, and many are Sufis belonging to the Maliki school of jurisprudence, the Qadariya and the Tijaniya, like in Senegal, but yet with a sizable minority also belonging to the Shafi Madhab. In Nigeria, some northern states have incorporated Sharia into their previously secular legal system, which has about brought about some controversy. Senegal, in contrast, has a mixed legal system based on French civil law, in addition to influences from Islamic law. Furthermore, there is the colonial legacy of France considering itself to be a so-called Muslim power, more directly involved in governance in Senegal, whereas the British employed a strategy of indirect rule in Nigeria. Uh, Lubeck has argued that Sufi networks in Nigeria have integrated Muslim traders, scholars, and students from different ethnic groups and religions into a new trans-ethnic identity of northern Muslims. In contrast, the primary Senegalese identity of, remains by ethnic group given the Sufi Muslim majority in the country. So in addition to the development of a thriving Sufi Muslim community, Nigeria has also seen the growth of the neo-Salafi reformist movement, in particular the Yanizala, or the Society for the Removal of the Innovation and the Restoration of Tradition. Its leader, Abu Bakr Gumi, held that Sufism is filled with un-Islamic innovations, and he was easily able to recruit unemployed Muslims, university graduates, into his movement. This original Nigerian reformist movement eventually splintered into other groups, especially following Gumi's death in 1992, which included Boko Haram, which we, of course, hear about all the time today. Additional fragmentation resulted when a Shi'i movement broke off from the Muslim <coughs> Students uh, Society in Zaria, which was supported by Iran. This culminated in a crackdown last December on the Islamic movement in Nigeria, also called the Yan Brothers, uh, by the Nigerian army, when the leader of Nigeria's Shi'i movement, uh, Ibrahim Zakzaki, was shot and detained, and hundreds of Nigerian Shia were reportedly killed and buried in mass graves. Boko Haram has also condemned and led attacks against the Shia in Nigeria for being heretics. Zakzaki has been a vocal advocate for an Iranian-style revolution and has rejected the secular state. He's called for campaigns against the West, against Christians, the Yani Zala, as well as the military government. Nigeria's Shi'i movement itself splintered following tensions regarding Zakzaki's uh, supposed refusal to recognize the laws of Nigeria and accusations of his running a movement as a state within a state. Zakzaki's goals are very different from those of the Shi'i movement in Senegal, whose leaders actually distance themselves from his so-called radicalism. Uh, Senegalese Shi'i goals are instead to spread the Islamic education and ideas about development in the absence of state resources. They are proponents of religious coexistence, and they work within the laws of the land. 
Yet some scholars and policy workers today are more worried about the possibility of an increase in Islamic sectarianism in Senegal, not least because of the 2012 conflict in neighboring northern Mali and the recent ISIS attacks in Mali, Burkina Faso, and Ivory Coast. They're really predicting Dakar is going to be next. I was in Senegal a few weeks ago for a conference and there was a noticeable increase in security. And one of the Senegalese Shi'i organizations with which I work also was in the process of increasing their security. And in the meantime, they ceased their weekly Thursday evening communal prayers a few months ago as a result. Uh, the leader of the Senegalese organization, a Shi'i organization, also alluded to changes at the state level uh, that might be encouraging an increase in sectarian divisions in Senegal. Um, the previous president, Abdoulaye Wad, who was in power from 2000 to 2012, he had increased Senegalese relations with Iran, which resulted in trade, uh, in particular the appearance of these Iranian-made taxis all over Dakar, which was quite interesting, uh, as well as regular meetings with President Ahmadinejad, as well as Ayatollah Khamenei. Yet diplomatic ties between Senegal and Iran were severed once again in February 2011. Uh, Iranian weapons were found in Nigeria, which Senegalese authorities believe were destined via Banjul and the Gambia for anti-government rebels in the southern separatist Casamance region of Senegal. Uh, Iranian bullets were also found to be the cause of death of Senegalese soldiers. And this ended diplomatic activities for two years uh, until Senegal's current president, Macky Sall, reestablished diplomatic ties with Iran when he met then-President Ahmadinejad at the 2013 Organization of Islamic Conference in Cairo. Nevertheless, Senegalese Shia, and I was there two weeks ago, they noted that President Sall has recently formalized Senegal's relationship with Saudi Arabia, which they feel has led to an increase in government resistance to local Shia activities, so everything is changing. In conclusion, in examining what I've referred to as the absence of sectarianism among the Lebanese diaspora in Senegal, I've shown how Lebanese Muslims and Christians united as an ethnic group in order to confront the discrimination they faced as a community, first from the French colonial power and later a newly independent Senegal. The sectarianism that divided the religious denominations in, in Lebanon and even divided the first generation of Lebanese migrants to Senegal disappeared over time due to the unique circumstances the community faced in the diaspora. In the case of Nigeria, Lubeck has argued the contrary, that as religious identities became increasingly politicized and nurtured by militant global networks, religion gradually displaced ethnicity as an identity marker. So I want to conclude by raising various factors that encourage or inhibit sectarianism, the demographic makeup, where in Senegal the overwhelming Sufi majority precludes the political power of other minority religious groups, which nevertheless are free to coexist in Senegal. You do have some Salafi movements in Senegal, but they never think that those are going to gain enough power with the Sufi majority in that country. Uh, in Nigeria, however, the more even balance of Muslims and Christians in the absence of any political majority opens up the country to various religious tensions. Demographics, in addition to internal and external factors, may also determine when religious groups come together as a united ethnicity, or when ethnicities supersede religion as the dominant form of identity. Furthermore, conversion to Shi'i Islam also complicates arguments of sectarianism's primordialism, and I want to just end by making a case for the importance of also examining the emergence of new movements as well as diasporic Shi'i communities when debating sectarianism. Thank you.